Low Health Burlside Church, Pastor Paris here. Our hearts go out to the people here in Maui. Our hearts go out to the people who have lost loved ones. I'm here with Pastor John, Pastor Grace Baba Church Maui, who's been at the tip of the spear in giving care, supplying for the needs of the people. Besides to thank you, uh, Every Nation Churches, for standing with us here in Maui, a tragedy so large that it's, it's attracted the eyes of the world. And, and uh, this is a tragedy that no church can can solve alone, um, and it's it's a it's a huge comfort to know that we have churches around the world that we belong to that can pray with us. Uh, we were going uh, 12 to 16 hours a day, nonstop, doing everything we can with with pivots and changes that were so quick, and leading um, so much energy and volunteers that. It, it was very difficult to navigate uh, what the next step was. And, and every single time that there is a difficult challenge, um, it seems almost effortless. And there's the only way to explain it is that people all around the world were praying for us. And so I, I wanna express our gratitude. I know there's a lot of people everywhere that wanna help Maui. And I've gotten phone calls from, from pastors uh, all over saying what can we do, how can we send uh, resources, and how can we send help. And I think in this stage of uh, the crisis, the, don't underestimate the power of prayer. Pray for our first responders, pray for our pastors, uh, pray for the people who lost their homes, uh, people who are still missing their loved ones and, and, and hoping that they're gonna see their loved ones again. Um, pray for whatever God puts on your heart. There's so many needs that we're seeing and experiencing to know that we have people praying, giving, and then planning to come when the doors open up to serve. Thank you, God bless you, and aloha from the island of Maui. Uh, this past week, I, I just want to say, first of all, thank you, Pearlside Church, for your prayers, your generosity on behalf of Pastor Jonathan that you heard there. This past week, uh, we were able to give $97,000 to Grace Bible Maui to go directly, amen, <laughs> to go directly to helping the survivors um, in, with their immediate needs and to recover in the days to come. I got to see firsthand the great work that they're doing. I flew up on Friday with a, a couple of our staff and got to spend some time with Pastor John. We go way back and uh, got to see firsthand the work that they're doing, their grassroots efforts. And I can tell you, man, they're doing amazing work. They're connected with so many other organizations, churches, the first responders, schools, and, and they're doing so much on the ground to get resources into the hands of families that so desperately need it. You hear about the red tape. There's no red tape with them, man. We're getting right into people's homes where they're, where they're, where they're being sheltered, caring for people. Uh, it, was just, it was amazing to see. And most importantly, is the hearts of the volunteers and the team there that are doing it. It's just so tremendous. You see God's love all over them. Amen. So I want to encourage you, you know, continue to, to pray, continue to give, because one of the things that they are going to continue to need is resources. And, and and what they're saying is it's 
it's, it comes down to money because people don't have money. All of that is gone. And so putting that in their hands uh, to be able to sustain themselves in the short term and then also to help rebuild in the long term. I had the privilege of being uh, going with them uh, to delivering meals and, and, and supplies to a few homes. And I just got to tell you, man, when, you, when the door opens and you see that person walk out, this one woman, she just, right when she saw us, I was carrying a, a thing of meals, she just started crying. I put the thing down, I hugged her, and she just cried for a good, I don't even know how long that was. Um, but we got to minister to them, got to pray with them. And at the end of it, they were like, we're going to be in church on Sunday. Where's your church? I said, well, I'm on Oahu, but uh, uh, their church is down the street. And, uh, and they said, we're going to be there. And um, you just see the, the openness, but also the need. And so continue to pray. Thank you. Um, on behalf of Pastor John, said, man, thank your church, man. Please, from the bottom of our hearts, thank your church for being so generous. In one weekend, we came up with that. Amen. With no warning, with no prep. So you guys are an amazing, amazing, generous church. So <clears throat> let's continue to be a blessing. Can I hear an amen to that? Together we were also talking about, you know, what's, what are we going to do for phase two? Because I told Pastor John, whatever you guys need, we're going to be in it. In the, in the long haul with you, but we're going to take our cues from you, so you tell me what you need, and we'll, we'll find a way, amen, ProSide, when we find a way, we're going to find a way to support them, and so right now, they're looking at, uh, they're co- going to continue to provide material support, relief, uh, they got families staying in, 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 in homes, and all that kind of stuff, I went to one house, there were 10 people being sheltered in one house, and uh, you're just like, man, that's the church of Jesus Christ in action, um, but also providing grief care because there are a lot of people grieving. And as, you, as I'm sure you are aware, in the days to come, there, people are going to find out news. That, and there's going to be a whole lot more people grieving. How do we care for them? How do we comfort them? How do we support them? They're, they're going to continue with that mental health support with the first responders. I mean, um, there's just so much uh, crisis going on there. Before the first service, I got a text message from Sharina, who is uh, the associate pastor, executive pastor of their church. And... She was telling me that they were able to give, put, put $1,000 cash into the hands of 34 firemen who lost their homes while they were fighting the blaze and have nothing. We're able to put money in their hands. We're, they're, able to, they're caring for over 110 families being able to give money straight into their hands because they need it so desperately right now. And there's so many more, so many more needs as I know you're aware of. Um, but we're looking at how to continue this for the long term. So uh, we're going to continue to work with them. Stay tuned for more information from us on how you can be a part of that. Um, but we're, we're, we're in this for the long haul, aren't we? Because all of Hawaii is grieving right now. All of Hawaii is traumatized right now. And the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a light of hope. Can I hear an amen? We're called to be a beacon of God's love in a broken, broken world. I was in Japan last week, or when the, when the fires all happened, I was on a ministry trip. <clears throat> When I found out about it, my phone was going off. I was calling and texting, and uh, everyone here, Pastor Jonathan, I called Pastor Jonathan. We were on the phone. But uh, while I was there, I had the opportunity of speaking to someone who was part of the relief efforts in Sendai. If you remember, there was an earthquake, tsunami, and uh, the nuclear disaster that happened in the Fukushima region. And so I was, got to talk to a guy who was part of the relief efforts of that back in 2011, 12-ish. He was telling me that coming out of that disaster... Because Christian organizations went in and church groups went in and Christians went in when a lot of people stayed away because they were afraid of radiation and all that, but Christians went in. Now he was telling me there are entire families and entire villages in that area that are Christians because of the love that they saw in the Christians that supported them. Amen. And as he shared that with me, I got chicken skin. I just got it again right now because I believe that's what God wants to do. In this disaster, in this chaos, to bring hope 
out of the darkness. That eternal life would come out of this pain and this brokenness. That as the church rises up, not just organizations, because the church is people, amen? Organizations are just people gathered together. But us individually, as we do what God is calling us to do to bring hope and life to the world around us, Revival can come out of it. Eternal life can come out of this. Salvations can come out of it, as well as the immediate relief and hope. Uh, as of 2021, Asian Access, which is a group that, that studies this, estimates that 75 churches, listen to this, including 33 house churches, were started by a single pastor in Miyagi in Japan. They've been planted since this disaster. 75 churches and 33 house churches from one guy. Imagine what would happen if every Christian took the call to make a difference seriously. How much good could we do in the world together, amen? If we all take our mantle, our responsibility, our call from God and lead in moments like this. And I think God is calling his church to arise and to be the light, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this moment. For the people on Maui, yes, but also for the people that are suffering here. Because whether it's a great crisis like that or the normal crises that happen in everyday life, the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a light, amen? Because whether it's a disaster or a diagnosis, or a death, or a, ch or a financial challenge, everyone is going through crisis. And I think the question is, what is the church going to do? What are you and I going to do as Christians to respond to the crises in people's lives every single day? And as we do, we can bring hope in this broken world. Can I hear an amen to that? If one guy can start 75 churches and 33 house churches, what can all of us do together if we take the call of God seriously? I think much more. And we can bring hope into this broken world. So we need to be resilient. We're concluding this morning our series, Resilient. If you've been with us over the last almost two months now, we've been talking through this series, Resilient, because we believe God wants his church to be resilient and live victoriously in this broken world. And we've been looking at the journey of the prophet Elijah and how he was called by God to be resilient in the face of insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable odds. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to be resilient, especially now with what we're going through. So how do we do that? I want to leave us with four thoughts as we conclude our series this morning. Four thoughts on how we can be resilient to the end. How we can be resilient to the end. First of all is this. First thought here is this. Remember that we live in a fallen world. Remember that we live in a fallen world. It's not in your notes, but I want to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And it talks about how God created everything in the beginning and how everything was good and how it all went Tragically wrong. Genesis 1.28 says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now this is speaking about our, 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 the first humans, Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. From the very beginning, God wanted to bless humanity. God blessed humanity. And he gave us a responsibility to steward creation, to steward the earth. And it was to subdue it. In other words, cultivate it. Bring it under control because it was just raw materials. So God is saying, take the beauty of the garden of Eden. You can go back and read it, Genesis chapter 1. And I want you to fill the earth with this goodness. I want you to fill every corner of this planet with the goodness that you find here. God blessed humanity. But sadly, and many of us know the story, rather than living faithfully for God, they gave in to Satan and basically turned the rulership of the earth over to the devil. And death and disease, sin began to enter into creation. Genesis 3.17 tells us the result of Adam and Eve's sin. God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. Disease, disaster, death is the result of sin. 
It's important here to note that when God said, cursed is the ground because of you, the word curse in the original language is a passive participle. Now, why is this important? Because in, in moments like this, people like to say, why did God do that? Or why did God allow that to happen? Or why did God do that? Or why did God curse the ground? A passive participle implies that it wasn't God that did that. The ground became cursed because of our sin. The earth became cursed. It's a passive thing. It became cursed because Adam and Eve, rather than following God, turned their back on God. And when we turn our back on God and live apart from God, things get cursed around us. Namely, the planet that we live in now is cursed. We live in a fallen world. That's where we talk about fallen. It was blessed in the beginning, but because of Adam and Eve's sin, it became fallen. So when we all get to heaven, I want to have a conversation with Adam and be like, brother, what happened? You dropped the ball. You had one job. You had one job. <laughs> now, we can, we can get mad at him, but you know, all of us sin, don't we? None of us are perfect. So if we had that one job, we'd probably screw it up too. So just let's all be humble here, okay? <laughs> we would have all messed it up. But the ground became. And so when we're tempted to say, God, why did you do that? I think God would remind us, I didn't do that. It's a result of the brokenness in this world. And this is so important. Because if we feel like God is the one that is cursing us, I don't know about you, I'm going to run as far away from that God as possible. If I feel like God is the reason why I'm going through what I'm going through and suffering the way that I'm suffering, I'm going to run from him. In fact, I did for many years before I became a Christian. But when I realized that, that the stuff that I'm dealing with is the result of sin and brokenness, then I'm going to run to God because it's in him that I can receive restoration and healing and escape some of the brokenness in this world, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. So the ground became cursed. The earth became cursed, not because God wanted it that, that way. God wanted it blessed, but because we turned over rulership, it became cursed. You following what I'm saying? Because we turn our backs on him, it became cursed. Romans 8, 19 to 21 tells us a little bit more. For creation waits. Think about this. All of creation that is now full of death, disease, and disaster waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Some theologians refer to Adam, and it was his will that subjected it, or the devil, either way. Um, it's subjected to frustration right now. But by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation is broken. The earth is broken. We live in a fallen world, and it's waiting for restoration to come. Well, how does that happen? We want to talk about that here this morning. But first of all, it's important to know that and be reminded that we live in a fallen world. You and I are going to face crisis. Either, I heard one person say, either you're, you're going into a, either you're coming out of a crisis, you're currently in a crisis, or you're heading into one. That's just life, isn't it? I know that's not encouraging to hear on a Sunday morning, but unfortunately, it's reality. And the sooner we get a grip on reality, the sooner we can begin to live in a way that is, that is congruent with the Word of God so that we can begin to experience God's presence and His blessing in this moment. It's like my kids, you know, they're like, you know, I don't want to go to school. Well, it's a reality. It's happening. The sooner you get used to that and the sooner you start, you know, doing the things you need to do, the better your life will be. I don't want to do homework. Well, it's happening, okay? You're going to do it. And I hate to admit it, but this world is fallen. It is what it is. But the Bible teaches how we can live in this fallen world in a way that we can escape some of the brokenness. And most importantly, escape it in eternal life in heaven. The world is broken because we turn our back on God. So we need to turn our backs back to, to God. Can I hear an amen to that? We were looking at the story of the prophet Elijah. 
in the midst of Israel's rebellion against God, he came on the scene to call the people of Israel back to God. They were in rebellion, and so they were experiencing the curse, even more so magnified because of their rebellion. And so Elijah came on the scene to call people back to God. First Kings 18, 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. They, they wavered. I want, I want God's blessings, but I don't want to follow him. I believe that God is real, but I want to do my own thing. Wavering between two opinions. How many of us can admit sometimes our hearts are like that? I want to do the right thing, but I also want to sin. I want to follow God, but I also want to golf on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like we waver. <laughs> Sorry, did I hit too close to home? Right? If we waver, well, you're here, so you're laughing at somebody else. We waver because our flesh wants something, right? And the Bible says that, 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 that we, need to, we need to decide who are you going to follow? Because if we keep on wavering, we're going to keep on experiencing more and more of the curse. And the more we live apart from God, the more we heap on the consequences of sin in our lives. Because this world's broken. We're meant to live in a relationship with God. But here's the good news. God is calling the world back to himself through Christ. He's calling the world back to himself through Christ. Jesus made a way for us to escape this cycle of sin and death and destruction through a relationship with himself. But we got to stop wavering. Maybe some of us are here this morning. I, I don't know for a fact, but I, I, I surmise that some of you may be here because this tragedy has awakened something inside of you and you realize, man, I need to get back to church. Man, praise God, glad that you're here. But stop wavering. Because in two weeks, if you stop coming to church, you were just wavering this morning. Can I be honest with you? God is calling us back to himself, to a real relationship with him. Because at the end of it all, as I'm getting ahead of myself, but if we're not anchored in Jesus Christ, eternal life will not be yours. Jesus came to rescue us out of this broken world, and we got to stop wavering. Either we're going to follow God or we're not. Now, I get it. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to be perfect at it. We're going to make mistakes along the way. That's not what I'm talking about. But sometimes we say, I want God, but I also want to live for myself. we gotta, we got to fight that wrestle, and we got to bring it down to say, I'm going to follow Jesus because God is calling us back to himself. John 3, 16, that famous passage, for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. See, that was never his heart. It's never God's heart to condemn. It was God's heart to bless. From the very beginning, Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, fill the earth and subdue it. And here again, God so loved that he sent his son. It was never his heart to condemn. It is never his heart to condemn. But it's through his son that he came to save the world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It was Jesus that died on the cross. It was Jesus that rose from the dead. And it is only through Christ that we can have, that we can escape the death and destruction of this world and experience not only blessing on earth, but eternal life in heaven. God is calling the world back to himself. And maybe you're here today and you know that you've been wavering. I want to encourage you. Make a decision today. I'm going to stop and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to follow God. Maybe you're watching online. That's what God is calling you to as well. It's time to stop wavering between two opinions and put your trust in Jesus Christ and walk with him. And as Pastor Kali said earlier, man, we, we, we've seen God work in our lives. You've seen God work in your life. And the more we follow him, the more we see God at work. And very often God gives us signs to show us that we can escape the death and destruction of this world if we trust in Jesus. We see it in and many of you. I know, I know many of your testimonies. You've seen God pull you out of the brokenness of your addiction, pull you out of the brokenness of your depression, pull your marriage out of the brink of divorce. And you've seen God do amazing things in your health. You've seen God pull you out of the brokenness of this world. 
through Jesus Christ. And God gives us signs very often that it's through him that there is life. Um, I, I saw this, and many of you probably saw this on, on social media if, if, you, if you're into that. Uh, but throw, go throw up that first picture. That in the midst of all of the destruction, there's this one church that stands in the middle of this entire block that, is, that was entirely burnt down. I was with Pastor Jonathan on Friday, and we drove uh, into Lahaina, got to visit some of the relief sites. And as we were heading out, we, we were driving through just, just block after block. Pastor Kathy and Michelle were with me in the car. And as we were driving through block after block of burned down structures, all of a sudden we're like, oh, my God, there's a church right there. And it's untouched. I told John, slow down, slow down. So he slowed down. Out of the, and then we just, I was like, I got to take a picture of this because it's amazing. But there's a church in the middle of all of the destruction that was untouched untouched. And then some of you have probably seen this one, uh, this other one. Go to that next picture. Go to the next one. This is the Maria Lanaquila Church, again in Lahaina, where everything else burnt around it and the church stands. And I think God allows us to see these kinds of moments because I think this is a picture of how he wants your life and my life to be in the midst of crisis. That we would be resilient because we're trusting in Jesus. That we would be resilient in the midst of all the obstacles and opposition so that we can be a beacon of hope and light to point to the fact that if you trust in Jesus, you too can escape some of the brokenness and destruction in this world. Our lives have to be resilient like that. They have to stand. We can't be crumbling like everybody else. And so we got to let the word of God work. That's why we encourage everyone to be in a small group. It's why we teach on discipleship. It's why we have church every single week so that we can build our faith up to the point where when crisis comes, because it will come for every one of us, we can stand firm and be resilient. Can I hear an amen? And I think God gives us these signs to remind us it's through Jesus that we can stand. It's through Christ that we can overcome and be resilient. So we got to lean into our faith, not just so that we can give hope to people on Maui, but so that you can give hope to your neighbor that doesn't believe that marriage can work, well, then we better make sure that our marriage stands the test of time. Can I hear an amen? So that my neighbor can look at my marriage and say, wow, okay, there's hope for marriages after all. We have, to, we have to be resilient in our parenting and in our families so that when our, our friends and our neighbors think, man, there's no hope for my kids, they can see our kids and say, well, maybe there's hope because I've seen something different in your family. We have to be resilient in, in the way that we live our lives so that our finances are blessed and our lives are, are stable so that we can give hope to other people. We have to stand like those churches are standing right now in the midst of a broken and beaten down world. But God is calling the world back to himself through Christ. If you've been wavering, no guilt trip. But this is a call from God. This is your sign. You're saying, God, give me a sign. This is your sign. Get, your, get back with God. Stop wavering and be in a relationship with Jesus. Because at the end of the day, in Christ, our ultimate hope is in eternal life in heaven. Our ultimate hope is in eternal life in heaven. That's the next point in your notes. It's not about just being blessed here on this earth. In Christ, our hope is in eternal life in heaven. You know, a lot of times we just put stock in the here and now. But as I said, this world is fallen. It's broken. And it's going to continue to be broken until Jesus comes back and remakes it. Now, I'm going to show you what the Bible says about that in just a moment. Therefore, no matter how, how good our lives get, it's always going to be stained with this, this external pressure of sin. It's never going to be perfect. You know, the prosperity gospel says if you do everything right, then you can escape sickness, you can escape this, and you can be healthy and wealthy and all that. No, no. The Bible teaches that this world is fallen and it's going to continue to be fallen. But in Christ, we can escape some of that as a sign that there is eternal hope in heaven. As he, after Elijah finished his amazing ministry, whatever season was for him on earth, 2 Kings 2.11 tells us about how he finished 
his race. It says, as they were walking along together, this is Elijah and Elisha, his disciple, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind, carried in that chariot of fire. Verse 12, Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two because he was grieved that his, his, his friend and mentor was now gone. But Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Elijah is one of the only people in scripture to never have died. He was lifted up to heaven in a chariot of fire. I mean, that's a cool way to go out, don't you think? Like, I mean, you know, I don't want to die in my sleep. Carry me up in a chariot, you know what I mean? I'd be like, bye guys, see ya. Like, that'd be kind of a cool way to go. But uh, the reason why I'm pointing this out is he finished his race. He was a faithful man of God, and even the best of us are not called to live here forever. Even the best of us aren't called to live here forever. Why? This world is fallen. It's broken. What we're called to do as the church is to lead people out of this broken world so that we can all be lifted up into heaven one day. Hopefully in a chariot of fire, which would be cool. I want that. Or we die in our sleep and we wake up in heaven. However that happens, we're not meant to live here forever. But yet, the human soul, we want to stay here forever. We think this is it. This is the best thing. And, and man, if, if there isn't a more beautiful place than West Maui, man, that's permanent. No, it's not. Nothing on this earth is permanent. All of it is temporary, but yet we fix our eyes on the temporary and we forget that we're not made to live here forever anymore. This world's broken beyond repair. God's going to have to remake it. And until then, God is calling us to lift our eyes from this temporary world and begin to look to the eternal. The Apostle John shows us what this is going to look like at the end. He was given a vision from Jesus. This is what he said. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is Revelation 21. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Look at this. From God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, for there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Heaven will come down to earth. This earth is going to pass away. It's going to fade away. It's going to, it's going to be destroyed finally because it is broken, and God's going to remake it. A new heaven. And a new earth is coming down. Heaven is literally going to come down to earth. So people say, we're going to live forever on, in heaven. Not technically, we're going to live forever on earth once this happens. But for now, you're in heaven until the heaven comes down to earth. And that must be a cool experience, you know, being in heaven, like coming down to earth, like, you know. And, you know, all those that have gone before us, they're in heaven right now. And they're going to be a part of this reunion one day with us. And if we die before this happens, then we're going to be a part of that, coming down with heaven to earth one day to remake it all because this world is broken. Jesus needs to remake it. This is how the story ends and then re-begins. But this is how this, this story ends. And so we have hope in that, that when we see disease and disaster on the news or in our front door, we realize this is temporary. This is temporary because God is promising to remake it. One day, death, disease, disaster, crying, and pain will be done away with. Unfortunately, that day has not yet come. But our hope is in the reality that it will. It will. And so when we mourn, 
We mourn with faith and with hope. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because of this reality, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Watch this, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For if this earthly tent that we live in, speaking about our bodies, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. What we should realize from these scriptures and, and what, we're, what we've just witnessed and experienced is that everything is temporary. This life is temporary. And in a moment, it can be taken from us. In a moment, it can all change. In a moment, everything that we've built and preserved and lived for can be gone. Isn't that a terrifying thought? I was just in Maui in, in June, actually. I was uh, at, a, at a seminar, and I got to have lunch with Pastor Jonathan and his wife uh, before I flew home that afternoon. And they took me to Lahaina. And we ate at this really nice place. I mean, it was a casual takeout place, but it was really nice, right, on the, right over the, overlooking the pier, right overlooking the boat harbor. It's a beautiful place. My wife and I honeymooned there 18 years ago, and, and I've been just longing to go back. You know, when people ask me, you know, I want to come and visit Hawaii. I'm like, I don't come to Oahu. Go to West Maui. It's the most beautiful place on the planet. Nothing against Oahu, okay? You know what I mean? If you're offended that I just dissed Oahu, I'm sorry. I grew up here. I grew up here on the west side, and trust me, West Maui is way nicer than that. Sorry if that offended you too. But anyway, <laughs> that's where I want to go. I want to go back. Anyway, we were there. We had lunch. Uh, and, and the whole time I was there, I was like, man, I want to I bring Naomi back here. I, I can't wait to come back here. So when I got home and I told her, I was like, hey, we need to, maybe it's Christmas break. Let's go back. You know, let's take the family or something. And, and after lunch, you know, he drove me through. We drove through Lahaina Town. We, went, we were trying to find this coffee shop. And we drove through. And I just thought, kept thinking, man. So much effort went to preserving this place. It's so beautiful, so magical. In a moment, a thousand years of history turned to ashes. When I drove through it this past time, wow. And you realize that everything we work to build and preserve is temporary. It's so temporary. And one of the terrifying things about this fire was that it happened so fast. In a moment, everything we build, in a moment, everything that we've been building for and preserving can be gone. Everything in life is temporary. No matter what we do, our health is temporary. No matter how much you exercise and diet, I mean, it's temporary, right? And the Bible tells us exactly that. We're not to live for these temporary things, but yet our human soul wants to just live for the here and now. The Bible is saying, don't fix your eyes on the here and now. Fix your eyes on, on this eternal kingdom that Jesus purchased for us. Now, this doesn't mean don't take care of your life and don't eat healthy and don't preserve. You know, no. no, do all of that. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what's eternal. Amen? So play your sports. Get good grades, students. Okay, this isn't like just slack off because oh, it's all temporary, mom. I'm not going to do my homework because it's all temporary. Pastor Billy said, you know, I'm not going to clean my room because it's temporary. Okay, no, don't do that, all right? But we do it with the right perspective. We, we have to care for this earth. We have to live good lives and work and all that. Because otherwise, how do we bless people? Right? If, if we're all poor and living on the street, we can't help people when needs come. So we have to work and do what we're called to do. And I'll get to that in a moment. But just with the right perspective, this is all temporary. That I'm going to build and I'm going to work and I'm going to bless as much as I can with my eyes on the reality that this is not all that there is. I'm living for that. I'm living for that. 
so that when the storms come and when the crises come, we have the right perspective that leads us through it with hope. But everything is temporary. What are you living for this morning? How has this tragedy awakened something inside of you that there's got to be more to life? And I think God would allow this as using this to draw our attention not on the temporary but on the eternal. That maybe we'll live a little bit more for what, is, what really matters coming out of this. And then lastly, the church is called to restore the world back to God and to bring hope to this broken world. So what are we to do? We just wait for Jesus to come back? No, no, no. We're called to bring hope into this broken world, to call people out of the brokenness in this world into eternal life in heaven. That's what we're called to do. While we wait, while we groan with the rest of creation, while we suffer through challenges and trials, what are we called to do here? We're called to bring hope to this broken world. 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul continues and writes this. He says, all this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's our job? What's your job and mine? The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to you and me, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What do we do while we wait? We appeal to people to be reconciled to God. In every arena of life, wherever we are, you and I have opportunities to help people to be reconciled to God. Our job here on this earth is to figure out what our, our calling is and what our niche is and how we are to bring the love of Jesus to this world. And as we do, all of us collectively, we can bring hope to this broken world. I'm seeing it on Maui. Average people figuring out ways to be a blessing to their neighbors and their communities, sheltering refugees, all the things that they're doing. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. But what about us? We don't have to wait for a crisis to hit our shores before we be a blessing to our neighbors and make a difference in the lives of the people that are going through stuff. We can do that now, amen? We can practice for whatever crisis may come in the future. But in the meantime, we're giving hope to people that are hopeless. Because even though they may have great lives and maybe we never experience a tragedy and I pray that we never do, people are going to die without a relationship with Jesus and will miss out on the eternal kingdom. That to me is the greatest tragedy of all. That is the greatest tragedy in the Bible that people live a Christless eternity in hell. You and I have opportunities every day to give hope to people. How is God calling you and positioning you? I'll tell you, give you one. I can't go to your friends and neighbors and tell them about Jesus. If I knock on their door, they might call the cops on me. Who the heck are you, bro? But if you show up with cookies or something, they're going to be, oh, come inside. Let's talk. I can't hug your family members. You can share your testimony with them. See, we all have people around us and opportunities. Our job is to figure out what he wants us to do and then do it. And if we all do it collectively, this world would be an amazing, amazing place. When I was on Maui, we were visiting some of the relief sites just outside of the the worst part of it that they had cordoned off with the National Guard and all that. And uh, we went to one, and I got to meet this guy. His name is Gary LeBlanc. And I want to share his story real quick. This is Gary LeBlanc, the guy in the middle there. That's Pastor John uh, on the other side. And Gary LeBlanc is the founder of an organization called Mercy Chefs. Mercy Chefs. It's a relief organization that deploys to disaster areas to provide hot meals for people. Gary grew up, uh, grew up in Louisiana. When Hurricane Katrina hit, uh, he got involved with relief efforts. And one of the things that, that really troubled him was he saw the food that people were being served through other organizations. I won't name them, but he said it was like stale food, peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, just rotten and stale. He said, no, we got to do better than that. 
And he went home, and, and he was, he's been a five-star chef in the hotel industry for years. And as he prayed and asked God, God, how do you want me to make a difference in the world? The Lord told him very clearly. He said, I've never heard an audible voice from God until this moment. And this is what God said. He said, feed people. Just feed people. Pastor Kathy was there. We were talking, and we were just like, wow. And, and he said, at that moment, I knew what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to find a way to feed people in disasters. So he started this organization, Mercy Chefs, and, and uh, since Hurricane Katrina, they've been deployed to 311 disaster zones and provided hundreds of thousands of hot meals to people who are in, struggling, suffering, displaced, and the first responders that are trying to save lives and do great work there. And he said, that's all that we do. We just provide meals. And they, they funnel it through churches so that the churches, just like you and I, we would go out with those, just like we did on Friday. We went to homes with the meals that they made, and they're good meals. Gourmet, I mean, I got to eat some of it. I feel guilty for saying that, but it was really good. <laughs> Dead extra. I didn't eat anybody's that didn't eat it. I, was, I said I was fine, but it was extra. So anyway, it's really it's delicious, you know. And one of the things that he said is you don't know how much a hot meal can do for someone to restore dignity and hope to someone who's suffering. I saw it. As we showed up with those meals, and you could smell it. It smelled delicious. You could see just the, the, the hope return to some people. And he said, so our mission is to funnel it through churches just like you guys so that you can show up and knock on a door and love on your neighbors because they're your neighbors. We're from, we're from the mainland. You show up at, with your neighbors and a hot meal, and you love on them. You pray for them. He knew exactly what he was called to do. And I thought to myself, wow, every single one of us has a, has a calling like that, a very specific thing that only you and I can do. That is different from anybody else's. But Gary prayed and he asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him exactly what to do. And I thought to myself, man, what if each of us did exactly what God was calling us to do? We could bring hope in disasters like this, but we could bring hope on a daily basis. If we lean in and we realize this is our call. I'm a minister of reconciliation. Okay, God, how do you want me to do it? For Gary, just feed people. He said, okay. And like 11 years later, he's touched millions of lives. What about you and me? And I think if we pause and say, God, how do you want to use me in this crisis and in any crisis? And the Lord speaks to us and we do it. I'm not saying start a relief organization, but maybe it's just go love your neighbor, literally the neighbor across the street. Maybe you're going to hear about a displaced person from this tragedy living in your neighborhood. Maybe go and serve that family. Maybe you have a specific skill that you know can be a benefit to someone in need. What if we all just did that? I think the world would be an amazing place. And like in Sendai, Japan, people's hearts would be open to the gospel because they see the love tangibly through you and through me. I saw, I saw a Facebook post. Somebody posted something. Be, be the love of God that someone can see. We need to be that through what we do, how we love, and then we can share the, our testimony and the eternal hope-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's what I also know. If we do nothing then nothing will happen. If we just live for ourselves for the rest of our days, waiting for Jesus to come back and rescue us from this broken planet, we're missing the point. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation with a message of reconciliation, be reconciled to God. And as we all do what only we can do, we're gonna begin to see change and transformation in our communities. I believe that. When you show up at work tomorrow, you say, God, what do you want me to do here? How do you want me to be a minister of reconciliation here? I believe he'll speak to you.
the students when you get back on campus, God, how can I be a minister of reconciliation in my dorm or in my class or with my friends and my sports teams? I believe God will speak. But often we're not asking the right question. Oftentimes we're asking God, how can you bless me and make my life better? God, how can you fix this for me? Rather than saying, God, how do you want to use me to make a difference? See, Gary got that very clear, audible word from God, feed people, just feed people, not when he was praying for himself, but when he was praying for other people. And the Lord gave him direction and purpose. And there's such a joy that came out of that man. I don't know if you saw it in that picture. He's a jolly, happy, good man. And I said, wow, that's what happens when you live in your purpose. You can make a difference and the, and the blessing comes back to you. What about you and me? Whether it's this crisis or any, we need to lean in, hear the voice of God, and do what he's called us to do because we're called to restore the world back to God and bring hope to this broken world. While we wait for Jesus to come back and take us home, I don't know about you, I'm going to be busy trying to do what he's called me to do on this earth. And I hope you will too. I hope you will too because together we can make a massive difference in this world. That's what Pearl Side's committed to. And I want to invite you to join us to make a difference in this community and beyond. Can I hear an amen to that? We're going to pray in just a moment. And like we did last week, we're going to ask you to get into groups and pray. I know some of you are like, oh man, I should have stayed home today. They're going to make me pray. <laughs> I get it. Praying with strangers is, is, is not comfortable. But if you can't pray in church, where can you pray? Amen. And if you can't pray with other brothers and sisters in Christ, it's going to be really hard to pray out there. So this is practice, if nothing else. But we need to pray, because guess what? And you know this. I'm guessing in the next week, we're going to find out that a lot more people didn't make it out of that fire. There's going to be a lot of families that are going to get the news that they were hoping they would never get. There's going to be a ton of grief. There's going to be a ton of pain. And we need to pray, first of all, that God's peace would touch their hearts. Amen? And that God's comfort and hope would fill them. And we also want to pray that there is an openness to the gospel. That they would have an eternal perspective that can carry them through this the darkest moment in their lives, but also in our history. We have to rise up in this moment. Amen. So we're going to pray for them. So could we all stand together? Before we pray, I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in worship. And as we worship, let's lift our eyes to heaven. That in the midst of this brokenness, God can make a way for his love and his hope to penetrate broken and hurting hearts. And we're going to, as we worship, we're going to call on the, the Holy Spirit to begin to move, not just in this place, but on the, the hearts of people everywhere that are suffering and struggling. That this will become an open door for the gospel to bring healing and transformation. Amen. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. As we sing, fill our hearts first of all. And I pray that you begin to move through us in the lives of people that are hurting right now, in our communities and beyond. We lift up your name this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's worship him this morning. <laughs>